This is the Becoming Educated podcast with me, Darren Leslie. I've been a teacher in Scotland for over eight years and I've loved every single minute of it. My mission in this podcast is to inform, challenge and inspire you to teach with joy. Hello and welcome to the Becoming Educating podcast with me, Darren Leslie. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and I hope that you really are enjoying the podcast and the contribution from some of my amazing guests. Well, today is no different and I am joined by one of the UK's most influential leadership authorities. He is a sought-after speaker on leadership an innovative leadership coach and author of two books, Educating Drew and The Leadership Factor. You may know him as the engaging head teacher of Harrop Fold from Channel 4's Educating Greater Manchester, Drew Povey. I really look forward to what Drew has to say and I hope that you enjoy. So grab the lead, put the kettle on, sit back and enjoy the discussion that we have. Thank you very much. Drew, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Darren, my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so just to start, just kind of have, uh, just to ease into it, just a, a wee quick fire, couple of questions. So just the first one, uh, Drew, could you share with us, what is your favourite sport? Uh, I, I, favourite sport I'd have to say is rugby. In fact, I love all sports. I've even kind of got into darts in the last few years, which is arguable whether that's a sport. I do love all sports, but I'd have to say rugby, I think. Uh, rugby league, I would say first. Rugby union, um, very close second. But you know, I've really got into football in the last, like, I mean, I've always liked football, but I go and watch my beloved Everton. It's, it's a close call, but I'll have to go for rugby. Brilliant. Um, so, just thinking about that then, the second one in the quick fair round, who would stand out as your favourite sports person? Oh, that is really difficult uh, because there's so many sports people I admire for so many different reasons. Um, and, of course, I've got a lot of friends who are really good sports people as well. Uh, have I got to pick one? If you can. You can pick two, but if you can... can, can two? If you can narrow it down, that'd be brilliant. So, uh, if I was picking two, uh, for rugby, I would probably go for Simon Shaw, um, won the England World Cup. Um, I've got to know Simon really well, so it's probably unfair on everybody else in the world of sport, but I know Simon well. Um, I like the way he thinks about leadership. I like the way he approaches sport. Um, so, I, I think he's just he's fantastic um great speaker as well so i'd probably say simon shaw but also right in the mixer in the last couple of years i've got to know stuart pierce really well who's a bit of a national treasure um and and again just the way he thinks about sport the way he looks at issues like resilience and leadership he's brilliant too but there's so many sports people i know who i just think just encapsulate so much of the leadership stuff that i believe in it's a, it's a really hard one to call. No, I agree. As a PE teacher, we 
I talk all the day, all day, every day with the children about sports people, and uh, I'd agree there's too much to pick from. So the last one in the in the quick fire round uh, is a probably a complex one. Um, what has sport taught you? Yeah, I'm just reflecting on the idea that these quick fire questions have been anything but quick fire. <laughs> my ability to um, use five thousand words when five would do. Uh, I would say sport has taught me a lot. In short. I think it's about um, effort. I think effort is key. You know, the hair and the tortoise stuff. I think effort really matters. And if you're willing to put the effort in that bit of extra, it's key. But also, of course, the power of teams. And what I love about sport is, and even the individual sports, you meet any of those athletes, they'll tell you about the power of their team around them, whether it's a boxer or Paralympic uh, canoeist. Tim Lodge is a, another good friend of mine. It's the team around them that matters. So effort and teams. Brilliant. Well, I think we're going to be actually coming back to some of those themes as we go on. So for the for the more formal part of the interview, we're going to be looking at a bit, of, bit looking back on your time as a head teacher at Harrop Fold, and also I'm going to explore a little bit about your leadership because I've I've recently finished reading the Leadership Factor, which I, I really really did enjoy, especially in kept trying to link it to my own role as a as a middle leader in school. Thank you. So to start off with, you became head teacher at Harrop Fold at only thirty two years old. Um, what challenges did this present to you, and and how did you overcome them? Yeah, I mean, I suppose when you pick up something young, um, there's a couple of ways people could look at it. Are you desperate to get to a leadership role? Um, have you taken it on because you're naive? Um, maybe taking it on because you're stupid. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's probably a mixture of the last two. It was not something I ever wanted to be as a head teacher. It was never a goal I set myself to to be a head. But you know, I was passionate about leading the school, and I was approached about the job um, by both the local authority and the governors together. Um, and you know, I thought, well, actually. I've got something to offer the job. I think I can lead the school forward, and I was, I was very passionate about the school. Um, but it, it, you know, it had so many challenges that comes with it, Darren, when you take on a job at that age. Because, you know, I was the youngest person on the senior team for a start. You know, and that that has its whole um, own raft of issues that you kind of have to get through. But I would say there's as many positives as there are negatives. You know, if you believe in that idea of the beginner's mindset. You know, I probably didn't have a lot of the biases that people have when they've been doing a job for 10, 15 years. Um, I think we can all get a bit older and a bit more cynical in our lives. And I suppose I didn't have that. It was a case of, well, you know, I won't have all the answers. I was quite happy to admit that because it wasn't really expected. So you kind of jump in with both feet and you do the best damn job that you can. Yeah, there were challenges with it, but I'd probably say there was as many positives as there were negatives. Excellent. Um, kind of thinking about when you took over, Harrotfold had had a poor reputation. Um, what steps did did you take as you and and your leadership team take to turn that around? Yeah, I mean, a whole host of things really. But I would say, you know, linking to the sports question you asked me earlier, the power of teams. You know, I was talking at a conference today, and I'm saying life is a team sport. It really isn't. You know, the, the 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 only way you can survive, I think, when you're in really challenging circumstances is to look at the power of team. And it was the team effort. People say, oh, you did this great job at Harrop. I'm like, no, the, the, the staff 
and the kids and the community and the governors working together did a great job. Sure, I was part of that, but many times I, you know, wasn't the the key um, mover on that. I'm going to have some ideas, but I certainly didn't have them all. But the staff were wonderful, Darren. The kids were fantastic. The governors, oh my goodness, the the, the time and effort they put in. The parents, the community that were kind of got behind the school. It was a huge team effort. And to be quite honest, it needed to be. You know, when you've just come out of being the worst school in the country, you're dealing with the worst debt. People are saying it's not doable. To be able to do that, you know, there's no way some wet behind the ears 32-year-old head teacher was going to have uh, all the answers. Far from it. But there was a team of people there that did come up with the answers, and that was the powerful take-home message from me: get the team, get brilliant people around you, and listen. So, Hartlepool changed significantly in your time, and and that was evident in the in the educating Greater Manchester TV series. Um, how did you negotiate that change? You've spoken a little bit about teams, but what was the the the, the more the strategic thinking behind it, and and what what was it like day to day? Yeah, I have a, a real um, drive in me that the best leaders I come across ask great questions. I mean, just like a teacher in a classroom, they ask great questions, and I like to think that I used to spend quite a bit of time thinking about the kind of questions I asked and you know how do you negotiate those kind of outcomes to deal with those difficulties well the answer is you negotiate you know you, you ask questions you know like I said before I had some ideas but I didn't have them all and some of the best ideas came from other people it was very much Darren about listening to people asking questions observing and doing a whole lot of learning and I think that's key. You know, if you can say to people, we're in this together, we know what we want to achieve, don't quite know what that's going to look like yet, but I do know there's a group of people here that can make some of this stuff become a reality, if not all of it, and that's what we did. Okay, so what what would you say was the, was the biggest challenge at Harrod Fold? And, and you thought you've sp- mentioned a lot about, about teams, but there, was there certain people who you... Who, more in particular, who, who you lent on during that time to overcome the challenges? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest challenge at Harrop was always the debt, you know, and, and I, I got in trouble for going on about the finances before. Ultimately, I suppose it landed me in an awful lot of trouble. But the debt was the big issue at, at Harrop. And so many people were, were key in that. You know, I had what was known as the world's best PA, or um, also known as the real head teacher of Harrop, Jules, who I spoke to every day. Obviously, um, you know, I had family members there. I had a fantastic senior team. You know, you need good governors when you're going to do something a bit different, which we had to do to run the school. And the governors were phenomenal. You know, they were so supportive. They would listen to my ridiculous, slightly cockeyed, harebrained ideas that we would come out with, I would come out with, the school would come out with, but they kind of went with it. But again, it was the staff, it was the kids, you know, the amount of times I would be, you know, kind of scratching my head at the end of the day thinking what was going to do next and a student had just walked past and they kind of look at you and you go, you're all right, sir. And I go, well, I probably will be if we can, you know, deal with some of the issues we've got. And they'd say something funny or just remind you why you do your job. You know, there's a whole raft of different elements. You know, I used to talk regularly to the cleaners. You know, we, we had brilliant cleaners at the school. And we would just talk about things and, and um, chew the fat, I suppose. But they'd also give us really great ideas and really great intel. So I can't pick any 
one person out other than to say it was a great team effort and we kind of ran towards the issue of the debt rather than running away from it and I think that's one of the key things when you're dealing with difficulties take it head on no, I certainly, certainly agree with that, and, I, and I, there's a definitely a theme coming with with a lot of you what you say. I think that resonates a lot with with some of the listeners. And um, one something that struck out for me when I, when I was watching uh, educating Greater Manchester and getting to know a little bit more about about you and your leaders is that you very much had a visible approach to being a school leader. So how did that look daily, and and what difference do you think that it made? Yeah, I mean, I, I get asked a lot about this, um, and I call it leadership by wandering around, which is a slight rehash of the Hewlett-Packard 1980s idea of management by wandering around. And it's about being around and about. You know, people do not want to be working with and for, in a hierarchy, a leader that is sitting behind a desk or in an ivory tower, completely detached from reality. You know, you need to be a high-touch leader. You've got to be around and about. You've got to, in the words of Ken Blanchard, lead by example. You've got to do the Robert Greenleaf stuff, which is servant leadership and kind of turn the hierarchy upside down. And during that time, you know, you, you will be able to have conversations with people. And again, what I said earlier, you know, observe, ask great questions, listen, and of course, ultimately learn. But I don't think you can do that from an office. And the amount of leaders who you know, feel that they need to be in their office all day, every day. Um, I made myself quite unpopular at a teacher's conference a number of years ago when I said, how many hours a day are you spending doing emails? And they were like, well, two to three hours a day. I said, well, don't do them then. And they were like, what do you mean we don't, you know, we shouldn't be doing them? I said, well, you know, someone needs to do them, but I don't know whether spending two or three hours every day doing emails is the best use of your time. Get out there and lead. You know, if it's an email, unless it's, you know, earth shattering, uh, shattering, shatteringly important, you know, you're going to get to that at some point or have somebody else who, who looks at those emails. You're not in that position to do emails. You're in that position to lead. Um, so, yeah, high touch leadership was key out at every break, every lunchtime. Um, at the gate in the morning after school, you know, and, and it was about making sure you were there with people as we were going through this tough time, you know, people want to see you there. Um, I did a talk with Colonel Stuart Tootle, who did the first raid into Helmand province, and he said exactly the same thing, you know, when the bullets start flying and things start to get very serious very quickly, people want to see their leader with them. Um, you know, they, you, that idea of high-touch leadership is, is crucial, and I, I can't say enough to kind of magnify the fact that this is important. Definitely. So what about in terms of, of the young people? If, if they, I, I really enjoyed seeing you all in your high-vis jackets, meeting them at the gate and and, and kind of starting the banter and the, and the day off right. And then there were some beautiful moments when you're out kicking a ball and some of your colleagues are out in the, in the, in the playground with the children. I mean, what did, what did the children think of that? Did they react to that well? Were they aware that you were always about? And, and how did that translate into to learning in classrooms? I think it depends on the kid. I think so, some would have been happy to see me and some would have been like going, oh no, he's here again. Um, and you could probably hear me before you got to see me, even though we did have high-vis jackets on. Uh, as I was told growing up many times, I could whisper over three fields. So it, it was for me, um, the, 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 the kids kind of got me, I think. Um, I tried to 
show them what I was about and tell them what I was trying to do. But, you know, whilst they might not always been pleased to see me, I think they at least um, valued what I was trying to do. I was very honest with them in all the assemblies um, and every conversation I had with them. Look, I'm here to give you the very best. And if that means, you know, celebrating some great work, that'll be amazing. If it means challenging you because I think you're letting yourself down, well, you know, we'll, we'll need to do that too. The important thing was to create the balance between that. But, you know, I, I love being around the students. Um, fabulous. The kids from Little Holton are utterly brilliant. And, you know, I used to have a great time with them and such a laugh with them. And, and on those days when you, you are scratching your head thinking, well, how are we going to deal with this one? The kids give you that great reminder of the whole reason why you're doing it. And that's uh, beautiful and I think that definitely sums up to, to why everyone gets into teaching because I think I'd, I'd agree when you're, when you're having a tough day it is just a simple conversation with one of the children that just brings you back around and makes you realise why you're there. So moving on now to, to more about you you and leadership. So I've heard you talk a few times and, and in that you, you, tell you, you claim to be a self-proclaimed leadership geek. So how did that help you as a head teacher? Well, I mean, it's about it's about that learning, isn't it? Um, I learn for an hour a day. Uh, that's kind of been my mantra for the last 15, 16 years. And just picking ideas up and, and trying to learn about what I do because I think you can get into a leadership role and say, well, I'm here now. I'm supposed to know the answers. And I'm always one of those people that goes, well, again, I'll know some answers, but I won't know them all. And I have to get better every day. You know, we're saying unto the kids, you've got to learn, you've got to improve, you've got to have a growth mindset, you've got to do the Angela Duckworth grit stuff. But then we very often don't do that. So I kind of said, no, I need to learn about this thing called being a head teacher and this thing called leadership. So I did, and I've kind of had that right the way through. Um, and I think the starting point for that is humility. Um, you know, not not thinking you know all the answers. Again, because I was young, and honestly, some things I didn't have a clue about, then, you know, I was kind of had forced humility, um, which was which was a good thing because it took away some of the things that I had to know because you can't know everything. Um, and one of my biggest things was learning outside of the sector. You know, too often we want to hear from head teachers um, if we're a head teacher or, you know, police constables, if we're a, a policeman or policewoman. You know, we, we want to hear from people in our sector. Probably my greatest kickers came from people outside of the sector where I was saying, well, what do they do in sport? What do they do in the police? And what do they do in the NHS with this? And what do they do in private business? Of course, there's learning from people in education as well. And it was some of that slightly different, slightly lateral thinking that probably gave us, you know, some of our greatest advantages in terms of shifting the needle on elements within the school. It was, it was wonderful. But I think if you're doing a job, you know, if you stand still, um, you'll fall behind. But the Americans have a better phrase than that. If you stand still, you'll get run over. Um, and it's, it's probably a, a true statement. You'll become roadkill simply because you're not moving forward. And if you get a job, then you need to keep continuing to improve. We're going to come back to, to that idea a little bit later on about learning outside the sector. Because I've got a question I want to ask you about that based on the work that, you, that you've done since... since um, leaving your role as, as head teacher. But I want to talk a little bit about, about your book, The Leadership Factor. Um, so in, in that book, you broke leadership down into seven Cs. Could you yes. tell us a little bit about this, please? Yeah, so being a leadership geek, I just love everything about it. 
and I'm kind of biting my tongue in this podcast so that we don't create something that's a cure for insomnia by people listening to me drone on about leadership because I have a tendency to do that because I love it. But I've been observing leadership in so many different sectors for so long. So it started off in sport, um, elite sport, when I was like 17, 18. I was very fortunate to be coaching at that level and seeing some great things and some bad things too, of course. Then I went into education, started seeing it there, then started reading about leadership in all sectors. Then was fortunate enough to work with some international teams uh, in sport, more and more in education, then seeing the police then seeing the NHS, then working in private business. So I wanted to kind of go, right, what have I seen in all the sectors that kind of sums up what I think the best leaders do? Now, of course, it can be dangerous sometimes to create a formulaic approach to anything, but I do think success leaves tracks. And if you take that idea on, I think you can see some of the characteristics, traits, behaviours that leaders have. So the seven elements, all of them begin with C. People go, oh, yeah, you just squash some to fix others. Actually, they fell in quite nicely into those categories. I think I had to shift one, one word around slightly, but it still meant the same thing. Um, and they are curiosity, uh, you know, about having a curious mind. I think the best leaders do that. Confidence more interested in confidence building than the leader being confident. So it's about building confidence in those around you. Collaboration, the power of teams that we've discussed. Charisma, I think leaders do have an element of charisma, uh, but that can be taught and it is not, not something that people are just born with. You know, introverts, every set of neurodiversity um, aspects people can talk about, they can be charismatic. Change is the fifth one. Connection is number six and courage is number seven. So you probably won't nail all of those as a leader, even in a lifetime, but I think you'll probably be good at around four of them. And then you obviously understand those four and take those strengths to super strengths. And if you feel you might not have some in other elements, well, that's where the team dynamic comes in, where you get people around you that might you know, fill some of those holes. No, I, I definitely love that idea of, of, I love that chapter about charisma and how you could um, learn that and some of the strategies you offer so I implore anyone to, to, to pick up that book and it's definitely if you're a leader and, and you've got a lot of self-assessment in there as well and, and I really really enjoyed that and I'm trying to practice being a little bit more charismatic myself and definitely in my role so thank you very much for that. You've got loads of that Darren you're alright. <laughs> so um, also in the book and I really I really, really like this because um, I'm a PE teacher in the PE department and we're working as a department to create our own vision and culture if you if you like so you spoke of the heart and soul of leadership being people a vision and how you sell that vision could you speak to the importance of this yeah um i mean some people don't like the distinction between leadership and management i do i think it's an important distinction to make i think a lot's been written about it but these are just my observations leadership as you say is about people and fundamentally that's what the best leaders do, is they focus on people. And I say this to pretty much every person, every team, every organization I meet with, people are brilliant. Now, I know some people pause at that point and go, well, everyone's brilliant. And I've said, well, how many people do you know who actively wake up in the morning from a kid at school to an adult in the job who genuinely say to themselves, 
I'm going to go into work or school today and I'm going to be as crap as I possibly can be. I'm going to make a hash of everything because that's what I want to do. I don't think people do that. I think people want to do well. So the first thing about leadership is actually it is about what we do with people and trying to drum that idea up that people do want to be brilliant. Our job as leaders is to help them be that. Now, is that um, a little bit soft? Potentially it could be, but I believe that's where we should be coming from. When we get these people together and we get these people wanting to work in a direction, we need to give them direction. So that's where the vision bit comes in. It's about getting this group of people and saying, where are we going to go? And I do think that's a question as opposed to, you know, people talk about leaders casting vision. I think it's much more powerful to create the vision with the people. And then, of course, once you've got this vision, and I think a purpose is, is important too when you're working with people, there's a constant sell. You have to keep selling and reminding people of that, as Simon Sinek says, the why. So if you get people with a vision and you're selling people that vision and that purpose constantly, and they're selling each other on that purpose, because there'll be days when you have your off days, then I think what you will get is a really strong leadership dynamic and then start to create this thing we call culture. So can I go on then? Going back to something you mentioned earlier, you you speak on leadership and you coach people on leadership, um, and you mentioned other sectors. What do you think that education can learn from other industries, and what can they learn from education? Yeah, I I say this a lot, a, an awful lot, um, that we don't always remember how good we are at leadership in education. You know, if you think about what a teacher does in front of a class. You know, they're gonna stand in front of, say 90 on a windy Friday afternoon, okay? And you're standing in front of that class. You have got to get those young people to believe in themselves. You've got to give them a vision of the future. You've got to tell them why they're doing what they're doing and give them that compelling purpose. You've got to challenge them. You've got to support them. You've got to influence them. That's leadership in a nutshell right there that a teacher does. Now, it's not all great news because when we become leaders, sometimes we forget that that leadership dynamic that we learn in the classroom and we don't always transfer it across. But teachers make great leaders. So I think we understand how to develop trust. We understand positive regard for people and not writing them off too soon. We understand growth mindsets versus fixed mindsets, which other sectors are just still not getting their head around. We understand that we've got to try our best to understand people so we can unlock their potential. There's a whole host of things that I think we can carry across to other sectors. But the other sectors have so much to teach us. You know, for example, if you take sport, um, you know, the whole team dynamic in sport is absolutely crucial. You know, and so often in schools, we'll have a fantastic, let's take you, for example, fantastic PE teacher. And we've got this PE teacher coming through. Oh, my goodness. They're, you know, pulling up trees. They're doing a great job. They are really doing a fantastic job of educating our young people. Very often, what do we do to that amazing member of staff who's amazing at teaching? We take them out of that job and we say, you're now going to be in charge of teachers. We're probably giving you very little training for it. But we're going to take you out of doing that thing you're brilliant at and we're going to give you something else that you might be good at, you might not. But either way, we haven't probably given you any training for it. That's not smart. Now, what they do in sport, as you'll well know, and a very simple example is you don't get Cristiano Ronaldo and play him in goals. Cristiano Ronaldo is a striker and that's what he does. 
So it's about position specificity. Um, and I think sport does that brilliantly well. You know, where is this person's strengths and where do they fit in with this team? Now, of course, we know that people's seats on the bus don't always stay the same um, and it can change over time. But there's much more training, I think, goes into sport. I also think there's some incredible stuff we can learn in terms of resilience from um, the police force and the NHS. You know, we have financial troubles, absolutely, in education. I'm not suggesting we haven't. You know, I've faced that, both barrels, back in 2009. But I don't think it's even close to what they're having to do financially in the NHS. I think that is absolutely as tough as it gets. And the things they deal with are literally life and death. You know, when I deal with the police force, I was doing a conference today with a good friend of mine, Ian Hopkins, chief of police in Greater Manchester and he was talking about some of the things they deal with you know or you look at what he did after the arena attack in Manchester that is resilience you know that is being able to do your job in the hardest of circumstances I want to know how the hell they're doing it how do you hold your nerve in those kind of situations so all the sectors have something great to offer where I get frustrated is they're not shared across enough and that's kind of why I was passionate to go into this business to say, look, I work in all these sectors still now, from the biggest businesses in the world to the best sports teams, to cracking schools, to great police forces, to people working in the NHS, nurses, doctors, professors. Let's share the knowledge across them all because there's great learnings to be had from every single sector. Someone is doing something brilliant somewhere. Let's pick it up and let's share the learning. Brilliant. Um, so just to kind of finish off the more formal part of it, you mentioned there about what you currently do now. Um, where can people find out more information about what you currently do? And also, where are they able to find out about your books? Because you've, you've, I know you've got two out. Yeah. Um, so if you go to uh, my website, which is drupovi.co.uk or drupovi.com, um, either of those will get you to the same place. There's information about where I'm speaking, what I'm doing, uh, vlogs, blogs, um, the books you can get hold of on there, or you can get them on Amazon, um, Educating Drew and the Leadership Factor. Uh, but I want to put more and more stuff online this year, um, not as a charging thing, but put more stuff out there that I think will help people because that's you know the whole purpose of our business is to help people develop, and it always has been. You can also get hold of me on Twitter and Instagram uh, and LinkedIn as well, um, uh, at Drew Povey on all of them, where, again, I try and share learning and just get some good debate going and, and learn from other people because these platforms are fantastic. They can be toxic as well, by the way. You know, They can be so negative. Um, but I think if you can kind of get over that and look past that, I think the great platforms for an incredible sharing of knowledge that we've been able, you know, we've never been able to do, you know, until the last 10 years. So I think they're brilliant. So Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and of course the website. Yeah, I know the, I watch, I regularly watch your, your videos you put on Instagram, especially on a Monday morning, you've got, you really share some positive positivity. So I'd encourage anyone to, to follow you on that and just listen to what you have, what you have to say. I, I for one, I definitely am a follower of that. So I've, I've got two more features for you, Drew. My, my dream school, which I'm trying to build up through guests, and also my, my final three. So I'm going to start with my dream school. And I'm asking people um, who they would choose from history, dead or alive, 
that, in, that inspires them to, to teach them a certain subject. And I know that you used to be an RE teacher. So could I ask you, Drew, who would you pick from, from anyone in history that can be dead or alive um, who would teach you RE? Oh. Um, so if I could have anybody teach me anything, I'd have to go for Winston Churchill just because um, I, I just think he'd, he'd communicate brilliantly. But I, I'd just like to get to know him because I think he was a complex character um, and he was quite honest about his foibles and his issues. Um, so I love people like that. If it was an RE lesson, um, I'm going to have to go for, uh, I can't pick one. Um, probably, uh, well, Jesus would be great. You know, if he could come back and teach an RE lesson, that would be fantastic. Um, I would go, I tell you what, I'd love to be taught by Gandhi. I mean, like, imagine his quotes. I mean, he, he would give me uh, uh, Twitter footage for years, wouldn't he, uh, if he was your RE teacher. But i tell you who else I'm really intrigued by um, as a fantastic example of a brilliant female leader with absolutely no title would be Mother Teresa. Um, I, I just think just think she's brilliant. Um, everything she achieved, I know some people are critical of her, but for what she did, for the position she held, for the respect that she earned, for the influence that she had, you know, I would love to have been taught RE by her. Um, I realise nearly every question you've asked me, when you've asked for one person, I've given you about 12 of them, so sorry about that. Yeah, I think, um, I think the common theme that we can take from that is all the people you mentioned are, are obviously legendary and, and deep in our folklore, but they were all selfless and you talk you spoke about humility earlier on they, they were they they were they had humility and abundance and they were entirely selfless in their leadership so perhaps there's a message there yeah maybe maybe yeah it, it, i've not thought about that darren but very possibly i do love um humble leaders i love hearing them talk um and i love getting behind actually what makes them the way that they are I would, I would certainly agree, and I think with them as well. And something that's that's you've spoken about quite a lot is, is is just the believing in the power of people and and human relationships. So, just before we go on to our final three, I want to, I want to just ask you you one more question, if I may, Drew. Yeah, um, of course. Why is it important to surround yourself with the right right people? Because in your book, you you did you spoke about the importance of human human relationships, and you've mentioned other people quite a lot. So, could you maybe speak to that? Yeah, I mean, again, it will definitely come back to the team thing. But I, I just think that the power of people with you on a journey is, is just so important. You don't have to do things on your own. And life can get difficult. You know, I've had a, a number of challenges, particularly in the last couple of years, that, that are, are quite public in nature. And that's really hard you know, really difficult. And how do you navigate that? Well, you do that with good people around you. You do that with people who can, as my mentor often tells me, pick you up and put you back on the horse. You know, there's so much negativity in the world. Like I was talking about on Twitter the other day, we can kind of really get bogged down with the negatives, but there's a lot of good stuff too. And having good people around you to go, do you know what, it's all right. It's okay. It's all right. You know, really good friend of mine, you know, also says when people have a go at you, you know, uses the Michelle Obama quote, when they go low, we go high. And just having those kind of really good comments. My older brother, Ross, you know, he always says a great comment. You know, 
doesn't actually matter. Come on, it doesn't, what really matters? It doesn't actually matter. My wife says to me, you know, it's okay. And I think having good people around you that can just balance your thinking is so important. And we, we almost want people to be to be heroes and kind of be the ones that we all look towards and think they've got it, they've made it, they've got all the answers. They haven't. This is the thing. Nobody has. But actually, there's a power of, of the group. There's a power of the team. And uh, I, I can't believe I'm going to quote Rocky Balboa, but I will. Because when he, when he speaks to Adrian, he says something great in, in one of the Rocky films. And he says... You've got gaps, I've got gaps, but together we ain't got no gaps. And when I first heard that, I thought, you know, he did it in his Rocky accent, which I wasn't going to embarrass myself and make your listeners cringe and read up listening to this by doing it. But it was a powerful sentiment because if we surround ourselves with good people, we're not going to have a great day every day. We're just not. But that power of the team is important and having good people around you that care about you, that can pick you up when you're down and you can do vice versa. I think that's a big, big part of what life's about. I would totally agree, especially in, in a job as teaching when you can be lonely in your classroom. I think the power of people that can support you and be around you, definitely. And especially for, for children as well, the being, being able to just get around them and support them and in times of challenge, because being young, is certainly a challenge, especially today in today's world. That was a, that was a wonderful sentiment, Drew. So it's, it's time now for, for the final three. So again, not quite as quick fire as earlier on, but um, I'd just like to start with, what book or text has had the biggest impact on your career? Oh, Darren, you're going to kill me now because I can't give you one. I just can't. How many can I have? Um, I'll limit you to three, Drew, if I can. Got three. Okay, um, John Maxwell. I love everything John Maxwell's done. Well, nearly everything John Maxwell's done. And he's done a great book called 25 Ways to Win with People um, and Winning with People are two kind of different books. One's about the philosophy winning with people and the other one's 25 Ways in Which You Can Win with People. Two two great books, but I'll, I'll have that as one if that's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's brilliant, John Maxwell. He just talks about, you know, actually... It's simple stuff we do with people. Linking to the people thing, um, it's an oldie but a goodie. Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a cracker of a book. I think it was written in the 30s or something like that, 1930s. Um, but it's just a great book, and it's so simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but common sense, obviously, is not common practice. And uh, other than people I know, and I'm desperate to say the sumo guy, but I... Anything by the sumo guy is great, but I'd probably say The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor um, because that book needs to be read by everybody. Well, everybody, full stop, actually, not just in education, everybody. It's a great book about how we should approach life. Thank you for, for that three. I, I definitely, I'll definitely i get on to reading them myself. They sound brilliant. And I know you, refer, you referenced John Maxwell the last time I spoke. And, and I've got one of his, I think I've got one in with people, but it's, it's not been read yet. But I'll certainly get on to that. Um, it, second question. If you could give just one bit of advice to a teacher, what would that be? Oh, really simple. Honestly, it's really simple. Listen, people go, oh, it's complex. I don't think that's a complex question. Just don't forget why you came in to do it. That's it, full stop. 
um, or question mark, uh, because you can't, you know, people say, oh, teachers want more money. Okay, well, more money would be a bit nice, but it's not going to shift the needle greatly. You know, teachers complain about workload. Yeah, they are, but I think they've always worked hard. The big thing is don't forget why you came in to do it. You know, remember that day when you said, hey, I want to be a teacher. I want to go in and change young people's lives. That's what you need to remember that day, that moment. You know, I say very often, willpower will last an amount of time. Why power will last forever. And remember your why. Certainly and definitely something we need to do in a, in a, in a cold and wet night in in December, January, when we've got piles of marking to do, it's definitely something to, to reflect on why you're doing that. Um, my final question to you then, Drew, is something that really interests me and something I'm trying to explore deeper and find out kind of how I can how I can provide advice and how to 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 get through the challenges. But what do you think gets in the way most of just great teaching in classrooms? Oh, bureaucracy. Red tape, you know, teachers not really doing things that are going to help teach a great lesson, but all the ancillary, round the edges, non-impactful stuff, that's what hacks teachers off and stops them being able to spend quality time doing that thing called teaching. Well, Drew, just like to thank you very, very much for, for your time this evening and for some of your excellent contributions there. There's some clear messages that, that will, will go out to the listeners and, and, and you spoke passionately about about just the the sorry, you spoke passionately about other having people around you and, and you spoke mostly about other people, which I, which I think kind of speaks to your own humility and your own leadership, because you you're, you're someone that I've that I've kind of been looking at and, and through reading your work and through listening to you on interviews and seeing your TV, you're someone who if I could if I could kind of kind of take some of the stuff that you've done and put it into my own practices as I work towards becoming a, a leader in schools, I think it would serve me pretty well. So thank you very much for that, and thank you very much oh, for your. You. No, I, I appreciate that. That's probably the biggest compliment you can give me. Uh, it really is. And I think, you know, The Humble Leader, there's a great book on this about humility by a guy called Edgar Schein. It's really, really important. And people will either see it um, or not see it pretty quickly with you. And it's one of those hugely impactful things when we're dealing with people, um, which we are, of course, as teachers and we are as leaders. Well, thank you very much, Drew. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Darren. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. I really do appreciate it. If you want to find out more about what was discussed today, please head over to my website, becomingeducated.co.uk. And finally, if you haven't done so already, I would really love it if you were to subscribe to the podcast. That way, all future episodes will be downloaded directly into your feed. And before you go... Please always remember to teach with joy.